Hello everyone and welcome to the movie Change Up Disney Plus Review. I'm uh, Joe Fricky. I'm here with uh, my normal co-host for The Bad Batch, uh, Tristan Mayer. Uh, what we've kind of decided to do is normally, um, you know, Friday evening, Saturday mornings, we'd review The Bad Batch, but with Loki coming out and all this other Disney Plus content, uh, instead of having multiple review shows, we just said, hey, screw it, let's just do one review show where we review kind of everything that happened this week on Disney+. Plus. And one thing I want to say, uh, we had a tree crash, or I had a tree crash through my house about six weeks ago, and they're finally here to fix it. So if you hear any pounding in the background, that's what's happening, is they finally got around to pick, fixing my roof. So, sorry about that. Yeah, no me. trees in my house right now, but not yeah. the last few years at least. Yeah, so sorry about any audio problems but that's the pounding you, that you may hear throughout the show uh so Trist yeah yeah so uh tristan i think the first show we're going to talk about is loki it came out on wednesday so what were kind of what were your thoughts on loki how did you feel about it what were you thinking going into it i had a pretty good time mm -hmm. with it i'm not, i'm a little surprised that i liked it as much as i did because for me loki i was not super excited about you know i i enjoy loki enough as a character but i didn't necessarily think he was a character that i wanted to see more of i was almost at a point before the show started where i thought i need less loki if you've gotten enough loki in the mcu already and i was like do we need an entire show of loki but after one episode i feel like we do and even if it's not about loki as much i think he's getting us into some interesting locations interesting questions and i'm really excited to see what they do next with it it has all the kind of mystery of wandavision that people liked about it but i do i feel like it's more intentional it feels like something we're supposed to be paying attention to and not just like an accidental mystery so i'm excited to see how it all plays out and if they can actually pull it all together for the next what five more episodes now yeah, I'm, uh, I really liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I, I was never like a big Loki stan. I know there's a lot of big Loki stands out there, but I, he was just a character I was never super hyped about. You know, I thought he was fine in the Thor movies. I thought he was okay. It's kind of that first Avengers villain, but nothing, you know, too great. But I really enjoyed this episode. I kind of like the somewhat of a cop feel that this show has with like Loki with basically like Owen Wilson's character being like this rogue cop that kind of mm -hmm. doesn't really play by the rules. And so he's going to use the villain, you know, he's going to use a criminal to help him solve his case. And in this, you know, story, Loki is that criminal that he's using to help solve the case. Mm -hmm. I love the whole 1950s kind of madman type aesthetic that the show has. I think that's a really cool look. Um, yeah, I'm just, I really like the vibe of the show. You know, there's some weird, confusing things, but I think anytime you have, like, timeline and multiple universes and all of that, that's going to happen. But I think, like, uh, nothing ever too confusing that I didn't understand the show. Yeah, I love just the look and the whole feel of it. Like you mentioned, it has that kind of 50s feel combined with the high sci-fi kind of stuff, of like timelines and predestination and fate and all that kind of stuff. It really feels interested in asking those kind of sci-fi questions of the MTU kind of just shrugs past like when we had time travel in endgame it wasn't like a moral dilemma of do we travel through time or not it was just like a very easy choice like oh we got to stop Thanos, so of course we travel through time and i think this show can get into those details a bit and like you said some of the stuff doesn't necessarily make sense <laughs> i think uh the more the mcu explains time travel the less it makes sense to me like every time a new writer tries to explain it they just add on some like more confusing yeah. element to it yeah, like, I imagine that this show has a chance to be like the one that sets it all straight and like really explains what the state of the universe is after this. 
Yeah, like even the writers of Endgame and the directors of Endgame had different explanations for the whole Steve Rogers time travel thing. One of them said like uh, he went to the same universe and he was always Peggy's husband. And then the other one said, oh, no, he like went to a different universe and created his own basically universe when he went back. And so when he appeared at the end of Endgame, he came from a different universe. And it's like, OK, you're the one of you wrote the movie, the other of you directed the movie, and you're not even on the same understanding of one of the core plots of the movie yeah and they get to a point here of like loki's in trouble because he wasn't supposed to travel through time but the avengers are fine because they were supposed to travel through time Mm -hmm. and i i understand like if that's all i give us all i give us and i can run with that but i would like them to give us a little bit more explanation of like why is it okay when the avengers do it and not when loki does it especially when like the avengers would not have been in that situation if it wasn't for loki going and getting the tesseract like if he hadn't stolen the cosmic cube they wouldn't have had to go through all this time travel nonsense in, in the first place i saw someone ha- ask that similar question and they said maybe in the preserved timeline or the core timeline that's supposed to happen that shield gets the tesseract not loki and so they still have to go on the same adventure but it's loki getting the tesseract instead of shield that causes them to have to go back in time so either way in the correct timeline they'd still have to go back to the 70s but it would have been when shield took it and not loki or i guess hydra or whatever it was but yeah, I just wonder how much they sweat those details, how much they don't. And, and yeah, when the MCU yeah. comes up, it's like, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. <laughs> so I guess to we'll me, see. To me, as long as the story is, you know, relatively good and that's enough, I can just kind of shake my head and be like, whatever. It's a good, When it comes to things like time travel, I'm okay with the explanation. If it's like two things that completely contradict each other, that's when I'm like, okay, you guys got to get on the same page here, but... It's when they give an explanation that's like, oh, right, whatever. You know, that's when I'm like, okay, it was good enough. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, as long as they're trying, you know. They show as long as they it. try and the story's good, then I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, and this story is pretty good. I, I can get into the recap a bit as we're going along. Right. But, yeah, I was I was definitely into the story, not just, the, like, the aesthetics and the mystery. I think WandaVision had that kind of, oh, the aesthetic and the mystery is all really interesting, but the core of it is just not very interesting to watch, like, week to week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think this could potentially had the balance of both where it has all the mystery and it also has some interesting story moments to actually enjoy and i think with loki it's one singular story where wandavision felt like four like weird stories that jumped around and like it you know well you had the stuff going outside the hex the stuff in the hex then you had the first three episodes which really didn't ultimately matter of like her weird universe she created and it was just nonsense for loki's just like loki's journey yeah, and it's weird, but it's also all literal from what I can understand. Like, yeah. none of the stuff that we're seeing is not physically happening, you know? Yeah. yeah. So they're not going to have that weird question of, like, okay, is this what's going on right now? You know? Yeah. It's all pretty straightforward for how weird it is. I'll get into the recap really quick. Uh, we got our cold open right before the Marvel logo comes up. It's a recap of the scene from Endgame from slightly different angles, a couple of different takes of the scene. But yeah, it's the scene in Endgame where Loki steals a Tesseract and vanishes. And over the Marvel card, we get like this ominous Chris Hemsworth giving us Loki, where's Loki? Loki trying to find him. So we get this kind of hanger of, of remember that time in the movie when Loki grabbed the Tesseract or we're following that up. <laughs> Any thoughts on them using that scene over again here? Yeah, I like it. It ties it in. If you, you know, don't follow, um, you know, TV news or movie news and you just kind of watch these movies as they come out or watch these shows as they come out, you know exactly, okay, what's the background of this show and when's the story take place and it makes perfect sense. 
Yeah, and we forget about it, but Endgame was two years ago, you know, and at this point, yeah. this, it would be understandable for somebody to forget like this one scene in this three-hour movie that came out two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe for us, for when I was watching it, I was like, okay, they really got to show us this scene over again, but I wasn't like annoyed by it. I was just like, oh, okay, they're just going to repeat the scene. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that scene was definitely for people that just like don't watch, you know, movie news or TV news that didn't already know that this is when the show takes place of him stealing the Tesseract and Endgame. There were a couple of cool details in the scene. Like you can see on the some of the wide shots when Tony Stark is picking up uh, the 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 briefcase. You can see a little tiny Ant Man running up his arm. Yeah, <laughs> they just have like those small little details that line up with the movie, and I think that's kind of the fun stuff of these types of scenes. Where it's like, oh, you see it, yeah, like the same Avengers scene from yet another slightly different angle. <laughs> We've seen it what like three, four times now. And sometimes I wonder the order of events and like the behind the scenes of the MCU. Like, did they write that scene of Loki stealing the Tesseract and disappearing without any kind of plan of what would happen with him? And then someone's like, oh, what if we did a show after that? Or did they have the idea for a show, but he had already died? So then they tried to come up with a reason of like where he would go. And so then they wrote that scene in Endgame with him like disappearing with the time stone so they could have this show. I'm always curious, yeah, I'm curious like, what the order of actual events too. were. Yeah, it would be interesting to find out. I, I would have to guess that they at least wrote in this scene here for the future of storytelling yeah. out of it. Like, it wasn't because they thought it was a good ending for Loki, you know? Yeah. So, Loki, uh, after this, he wakes up. We get a kind of green and purple Marvel, Marvel Studios logo in the theme of Loki. I thought that was pretty cool. And then yeah, Loki like wakes up. It's always cool when they change up the logo, even a little bit. Like, when WandaVision had the black and white kind of, like, yeah. red logo at the beginning, that's always fun. Yeah, and Loki okay. wakes up uh, in the Gobi Desert. Uh, he's surrounded by locals. He's kind of like the similar to really know. Yeah, I, I want just because you brought this up, I want to say I think it's going to be a uh, not what's it like a callback because it reminded me very much of Iron Man, Tony mm -hmm. Stark when he lands in the like sh his Mach One Iron Man suit in the desert, surrounded by parts, and it was like a identical shot with Loki. So I think Loki's about to go on a similar journey of being this kind of dick asshole character to kind of like a good person yeah i, I like that parallel a lot i think especially because it's not just oh here's a cool shot from uh iron man we're gonna do the same thing from loki just because it feels like you said it's a foreshadowing of what loki's arc is going to be and loki's had like a redemption arc over the course of the mcu but i think it's got a little bit diluted like he's been the bad guy in one movie he's been a good guy in the next and it's kind of like okay is, where is loki as a character and I, I i hope that this show can give us like a clear redemption arc or redemption arc or whatever direction to go with loki in this show but i yeah. it'd be fun to get that like an actual through line for the character for sure so loki uh, is trying to assert his dominance over these lo uh, locals in the gobi desert but quickly he's interrupted by time cats from the t time cops from the tva uh, they're claiming that loki uh messed up the timeline by stealing a cosmic cube and they're here to correct it so loki gets kind of captured and arrested by the tva and taken off to some other world for judgment. What do you think of this scene here? Yeah, I thought it was cool. I like their little like portals that they walk through. I like the look of that. It's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the effects in here. Like it, you mentioned the '50s kind of aesthetic to the world, and I almost feel like these effects are slightly '50s. Like they they look good, but I think like the idea of like oh they're in the middle of this desert and they just have like these doors that come up and they walk through them. It feels like an effect out of like Doctor Who or Star Trek from like the '60s. But yeah. just done a little bit with modern technology. I like the look of it. So Loki is captured by the TVA. Uh, he's 
been taken to the TVA and like you mentioned it's kind of this 50s deco kind of look to it merged with this sci-fi like there's scroll walking around this uh, allegedly a Peggy Carter Peggy Carter in the background I'm not quite sure if it is her Yeah it's, it's like, like very blurry person. and it could be literally it could be literally anybody but it kind of has a sort of similar haircut as Peggy Carter so people are saying oh look it's Peggy Carter and it's like maybe it is maybe it isn't I'm sure nothing will ever come of it so I don't think it really even matters I mean either way yeah, it'll be one of those fun things where it's like you can believe it is if you really want to, but I, I, I would be shocked if it came back in any way. Yeah, at all. it's my, uh, it's my uh, what, do, what do I call it? Uh, it's basically Rex in Return of the Jedi, where mm-hmm. he ha- he looks exactly like Rex. He's identical to Rex, and they said Rex is at the Battle of Return of the Jedi, but apparently that guy's not Rex. So we'll talk about Rex a little later too. I think. And yeah, we will. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I liked the look of the TVA here. I would, I wish it was a little more crowded. Like I would have liked if it had like a Star Wars feel almost where it's like filled with different aliens and different people from all across different timelines. That would have been interesting, but they went for that kind of almost eerily empty kind of look. Yeah. It would have been cool if we just had like a random, like it was packed with people in Loki and it's just like a, like a random cameo by like a popular, like MCU character, just like Star Lord happened to be there. (laughs) Yeah, that would be a, that would be a fun potential. Even if even if it's not Star Lord, you could throw in some creature from Guardians of the Galaxy or anything like yeah, that and connect yeah. it to the other movies. But yeah, just like a what if we had like Baby Rocket was there? <laughs> that would be fun. Or uh, uh, Howard the Duck. He oh, like he that that, that would have been my pick. Is Howard the Duck was one of the characters? Yeah. Well, yeah, we get a light cameo from a scroll. I'm I'm surprised that scrolls aren't more prominent in some of these shows. Oh, I missed that. But, Oh yeah, I guess I saw the clip of it. They're standing at kind of like a counter. As lo- uh, I think okay. it's the same scene that Peg Carter's in. It's a little earlier in the scene. Okay. Yeah, we get those slight cameos, and then Loki is kind of put on trial for his actions and told that he wasn't supposed to grab the Tesseract and travel around and <laughs> do his mischief because that's yeah. not what the sacred timeline says. So he's sentenced to being uh, reset, which I believe is either just totally erased from time or having your mind reset it. They haven't quite given us the details of what being reset means, but it sounds ominous and it sounds bad. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> sound like anything you want death, to happen. Nope, yeah, it sounds like the bad bad solution. But thankfully, Loki doesn't have to get the bad solution because in comes Agent Morbius. Morbus? Morbius. Uh, played by Owen Morbius. <laughs> yeah. S- similar to the upcoming Sony Studios Marvel movie, but not not exactly. And he's played by Owen Wilson. Uh, who I thought was really great in this role. I thought it was nice to see him not play up the Owen Wilson kind of, oh, wow, kind of role. Wow. He was kind of breaking his character a little bit here, which is something that you don't necessarily, well, like when you hire an actor like that for the MCU, I expect to get like a Jeff Goldblum and Thor Ragnarok type thing where it's like, oh, he's just playing like Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. But he actually feels like he's playing a character in this. He, like you said, he has that, that like gritty kind of cop who's like the down is that cop that no one really wants to work with because he wants to follow the rules and he doesn't he doesn't want to follow the rules and he wants to go by his own rules and that kind of that kind of yeah. cop i like him a lot but yeah owen wilson rescues loki from this certain death and kind of brings him into work on some sort of secret project that we don't get a ton of detail on until later on in the episode what did you think about uh this moment with loki and owen wilson yeah, I really liked it. It was definitely reminiscent of a lot of those cop shows of like two partners coming together or like the partner or like the cop trying to convince the bad guy to work for him and all that. Mm-hmm. It's very, 
and I like the whole, they had it a few times throughout the episode, but like the whole rewinding thing, whenever Loki would do something they didn't want, they'd press mm-hmm. that button and he would like rewind. I really like that. Yeah, it was also a fun scene. You mentioned this kind of cop drama feel to it, and I thought it was fun. Like, a judge is saying, like, oh, you can't do that. That's against protocol. And then Owen Wilson's like, but I really want to. And the judge is like, all right. (laughs) I was like, oh, it didn't take much convincing. You just, like, asked, and they said yes. The judge is interesting. I guess I was reading online. That's a a fairly prominent comic book character is that the judge in this episode. Yeah, Yeah, I saw that, too. To feature villains and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I saw that too, and I think uh, the actress she's been around a while, Gugu Mbatha Raw, and so it's nice to see her get work, and hopefully she'll be around the MCU for a while and more than just uh, Loki. Yeah, it's another one of those moments where it's like, is this just a name from a character as a as a reference, or is yeah. this something they're going to run with? And I think, especially these Disney Plus shows have a lot of that. Like we had that in Falcon the Winter Soldier. It's like, oh, is that Isaiah? Is he going to be a main character, or is he just because it's a character from the comic? And yeah, exactly. I'm curious to see as this show goes along, is that just a reference or is that going to be something that ties into future movies even? Yeah, for sure. I don't want to miss I think I actually skipped the animated sequence that we get. But I oh, that was really, really cool. It reminded yeah, me of uh, some Schoolhouse Rock type of thing. But Yeah, that was definitely the feel they went for. The character's name was Miss Minutes and it was voiced by Tara Strong, who's a really well-known uh, oh, voice actress know, across yeah. the, the universes. <laughs> Most of them for DC work in my mind, but she's had a lot, yeah. of, a lot of good stuff. Voice of Timmy Turner. Yep. You got Timmy Turner, you got uh, Harley Quinn, you got all kinds of stuff. I believe Powerpuff Girls. She's one of the Powerpuff oh, yeah, the Powerpuff Girls. Now <laughs> uh, just having PTSD Powerpuff flashbacks Girl. of reading that script that came out. Oh, God. Yeah, that leaked Powerpuff Girls script. Well, hopefully, we'll cover that on a future what we're watching on the CW podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but this is not the Powerpuff Girls. Tara Strong is playing Miss Minutes, which is like this animated clock type character and essentially gives us this whole breakdown of what the multiverse is and how it kind of works within the uh, TVA's framing of it. Like they talk about this ancient multiverse war where a bunch of different Earths kind of battle it out and the TVA stepped in to kind of settle this down and create one sacred timeline that kind of unifies everything into one. And now their job as time agents or whatever they call themselves just to go oh, throughout the, the timeline and correct the errors. Yeah, it's the Minutemen. They stole that one from DC too, but yeah. Well, I think they more stole that from history, but you know. Well, yeah. But uh, that is an interesting animation because people were like waiting every second through WandaVision for them to mention a multiverse and they were like, oh, well, I guess it's not going to happen in a WandaVision and then I didn't expect, like, first five minutes into Loki, they're like, oh, yeah, multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I guess it's here. I wonder if something like the multiverse war is something we're going to see or hear more about in, like, the Eternals or something like that. That was what I was thinking. It feels like something that would be in the Eternals because they had that ancient kind of fantasy to yeah. them. Yeah. But I'm also wondering how much of this is true and how much of this is, like, propaganda from the TVA. That's like, also true. I'm not quite sure I buy into this sacred timeline thing. I don't... I don't feel like that makes sense with what we heard in Endgame about time travel. And I don't know if that is me over-reading MCU's logic of stuff, or if it's intentional and we're supposed to realize, like, is the TVA going to fall by the, by the end of this uh, season? Are they going to are they gonna be having some ulterior motives? I'm sure we'll get deeper and deeper into the TVA's, like, secret motives as the show goes along. But... Yeah, I, def- I definitely feel like the heads of the TVA, like the top people, like maybe the lower people at the bottom and mid-level people all think they're doing the right thing and all think they're like doing the just and proper thing. But I think the people at the top definitely like have an agenda and are 
you know, forcing the timeline into being in a way that helps them. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, because, like, there's going to be this moral dilemma of, like, who decides what is coherent to the timeline and what's not. Like, what about Loki taking the Tesseract is breaking of the timeline? Like, why why is that so important for sure. these Time Lords to maintain? And I'm curious how much of that we'll get into. I, I'm sure we'll get into a lot of that. I imagine yeah. Owen Wilson's character will have some kind of journey of discovering some higher motivations. I imagine, like, maybe he has his own existential crisis when he realizes, like, his place within the universe sure. is yeah. as small as Loki's. You know? Yeah, without a doubt. And we have this through line in the first half of the episode where Owen Wilson is also doing this kind of crime scene investigation <laughs> where he's going to some kind of ancient church and interviewing some girl who was attacked and saw some kind of other creature. And we don't get the yeah. explanation of what it is until the end, but she points to this giant stained glass demon. Yeah, with big horns. Mephisto from WandaVision. Oh, is that what? Oh, yeah. But it was this <laughs> big thing with line, big horns. But... As soon as I saw the big horns, I'm like, okay, I know what that is. <laughs> Everyone on the internet was really freaking out that it was Mephisto. And I hadn't seen the episode yet. And I pulled up Twitter and I saw it trending was like Mephisto Magneto. I was like, did Loki pull some crazy shit in this premiere? Like they they gave us all the WandaVision things. But yeah, it was people were thinking it was Mephisto, but I thought it was pretty obvious what they were going for. Yeah, and it's hey, you know how the main character type thing it's obviously Loki. Yeah, you know how the main character of this show has a helmet with big giant fucking horns <laughs> on it? Yeah, that that's probably who it is. Yeah, don't reach into the Marvel lore and pull out some like C tier character that nobody knows about and be like it has to be them. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely not the main character of this show who wears a helmet that gives him giant fucking <laughs> horns or anything. One thing that I thought was interesting in this scene that they don't really like follow up on at all in the episode is this running thing of the gum and the candy like these 90s candies that are popping up like throughout time yeah <laughs> this young girl has this this gum that she doesn't have any reason to have in this timeline that the scene takes place in. and and yeah. it turns her mouth like all blue and the mouth of the demon on the same glass is also all blue so i wonder if that's kind of a connected thing like maybe this gum is going to come back in some weird mystery kind of way oh yeah that's true and we see it later with the, the pop that the soda that Agent Morbius keeps drinking. That was a real energy drink from back in like the, the 80s or the 70s or the 90s. Oh, Some kind of old that. time, you know, when the old people were around. Yeah. I think it was the 90s. I read it was like the first energy drink ever on, ever produced or something like that. Oh, wow. So I wonder if he's going around throughout time and like gathering up all these like expired or canceled candies that he misses and keeping them for himself. <laughs> that could be a fun like character uh, quirk. Yeah, I can definitely see that. But yeah, I'm curious to follow up on that. We'll follow up more on, on Owen Wilson's thing a little bit towards the end here. But uh, you mentioned you like the cop kind of feel to it. So how did you feel about Owen Wilson's sort of like investigative plot through the beginning of yeah, the episode? I really like that. I really like that scene when he goes back to the 1500s and it's like, oh, he's that interviewing that girl. And like, it was like just basic detective work. But I kind of like how, I hope like a lot of these uh disney plus marvel shows do that where they're like okay we're gonna take a genre and then we're gonna put like a weird kind of crazy style on it like okay mm -hmm. we're gonna make a cop drama but we're gonna make it this weird low-key time travel you know out of time cop drama and i'm like okay let, that that's kind of cool yeah i like that taking the marvel kind of aesthetic and applying it to these other genres even wandavision was like oh we're gonna take a sitcom or like a cop yeah. thriller type thing and yeah apply this crazy WandaVision yeah. filter over it. 
Falcon and Winter Soldier did it a little bit, but not too much. They basically are like, oh, all right, we're just going to do the superhero version of like a spy TV show. Yeah. But Civil or so, Winter Soldier that introduced both Falcon and Winter Soldier was already like a spy movie, so it didn't really like feel like too different already. And one scene that everyone's really talking about in the episode is when Loki gets essentially the MCU recap video where he watches like oh. his own storyline play out throughout the MCU. That's right around this part here. Because Owen Wilson is having this sort of interrogated relationship with him where he's trying to get Loki to join his side and Loki, over the course of the episode, has this turnaround where he sees himself as like this big untouchable god, but slowly realizes like he's not that. And a big turning point for that is his interstellar moment where he watches like his whole life yeah. play out on this hologram before him and goes through the whole emotions of realizing like, oh, I, I didn't win. You know, I didn't take over the world. I fought side by side with Thor and then I got killed by Thanos and I just had this kind of tragic plot ending. Yeah, basically, I mean, in two minutes time span he watched his father die his mother die and himself die and realized that his life's mission was not to take over the to take over earth but it was basically to be the inspiration to cause the avengers to come together like that was your mission you were a stepping stone that was your you know ultimate place in the galaxy as you were a but stepping Wilson, stone i I, yeah, I like that i think it was good existential crisis for loki and I think he sees himself as so big and huge in the Avengers and then to have this come like right after the Avengers because this is like not our Loki. This is yeah. fresh off of the Avengers Loki. So he's coming off of that defeat from the first movie and this realizing all of this. But I also think Owen Wilson's character puts an interesting positive spin on it where he says like, oh, I don't see you as a villain. I see you as a person who inspires the best in people, like who brings people together, who brings out the best in the heroes. Yeah. I think that's an interesting positive way to look at like villain characters you know yeah i thought and especially mobius seems to have this like fan relationship with loki where he likes watching him and he likes seeing what he's up to so oh, i think one, it was a fun kind of meta way of how we as viewers can kind of justify villains in our heads i thought we were about to like get acknowledgement for agents of shield because they brought up agent colson and like him killing agent colson and they were talking about like all the times he failed and so i thought they were going to make a reference to like you didn't even succeed at killing him and they were going to show like a clip of agents of shield like or from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. like after or something like that. But they, I think they're just kind of going in the idea of as far as the MCU goes, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't canon because Kevin Feige didn't work on it, so he doesn't <laughs> care about it. Yeah, I was almost hoping for like just this one little throwaway line. Like I, oh, That's kind of what I expected for the most. If you ever get Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. mentions ever again, it's going to be like one or two lines, you know? And I was like, oh, here's their chance to just be like, oh, yeah, and Coulson's still alive also, because then people yeah. from Asian Shield can be like, oh, it's canon. Everybody else can be like, oh, he's still alive. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny how, like, Kevin Feige's like, yeah, I didn't work on that show, so fuck it. I, it could not exist. I don't care. My one, I have one negative on uh, this type, this sequence here, is I think that it's a little cheap to just, like, have us rewatch scenes from previous movies. Like, I'm a little sick of seeing that same Avengers circle shot like multiple yeah. times and i think it would have been more like you saw the db cooper sequence where loki turned oh, out was... to be the db cooper that we know from like infamy yeah and i would have liked more stuff like that like stories with loki that we haven't seen before that we can see his arc play out through that lens i was a little disappointed because i'm a big like i mean it's weird to say like a db cooper fan but like i've read like Basically, everything there is to read about D.B. Cooper, I've read it because the whole thing's just, like, fascinating to me. And I, they, that was in the trailer, like, him 
like on the plane and then like I think jumping out of the plane with the briefcase and saying the name D.D. Cooper was in one of the trailers so I thought that was going to be like a whole episode of the show and I was super excited but I'm I'm happy enough with what we got of like turning out it was just like a bet between him and Thor I thought it was kind of mm-hmm. fun yeah, it was funny. I'm also weirdly a D.B. Cooper fan. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was looking forward to seeing how they would work that into this uh, series, and they just kind of threw it in there, which was fine. I honestly would have liked more stuff like that, just fun little Loki yeah. anecdotes thrown in. And I imagine with the reveal towards the end that we might get a lot. We might get some of that in the future, but we'll see yeah, when we get there. I have a big theory about that one. So at this point, Loki's going through this crisis, and I think it's kind of the core theme of this show going forward is going to be, like, do our choices matter? Are we set on our paths, or can we choose our own paths for us? And at what point is the line between, like, knowing what choices you're going to make and and making the choices for you? Like, I think that's a very fascinating question, and I think when we get the TVA as these kind of, like, God stand-ins, and Loki as an actual God, (laughs) like a mythological God, I think it's a fascinating kind of thematic exam- uh, potential for this sh- for this series to get into. I think it'll be yeah. really interesting to see how they end it because I feel like the ending note is going to be what they really like their final conclusion on this. Because I imagine this questions these questions about our choices and predestination are going to be asked throughout yeah. this entire show. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to bring up too, uh, if you have any predictions, because I want to get to one of mine, is. Uh, I like that the Infinity Stones in the TVA were worthless. Like, they didn't work at all. And so, mm-hmm. like, like the whole, like, last basically 12 years of the MCU, they've been hunting down this Infinity Stone. So, really, they could just go to that guy's office and pick up, like, multiples of each. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because there's always this element when you're doing franchises or long-running stories like this. Like, the next threat has to be bigger than the one before it, and it has to be something that kind of blows the first one out of the water so that you can buy the threat yeah. again, like, and I was wondering that after Endgame, like we've seen Thanos bring the entire universe to the brink of destruction and the Avengers all had the, the entirety of the MCU had to come together to fight against him. Like, how do you, what, where do you go that's bigger than that? You know, and I think this scene is interesting because, yeah, like you said, the Infinity Stones mean practically nothing to these people in the TVA. They're just literally paperweights. So I think it's fascinating to show like, okay, this next cosmic kind of step for the MCU is going to be so big compared to Thanos. Like Thanos is just going to be like some guy by the yeah. end of this MCU phase. For sure. Uh, so we got, we've already got into Loki's escape a bit, so we're just talking about that, I guess, as Loki tries to escape and has this kind of run around throughout the facility. I can't remember the guy's name he meets right now, but he's like an office worker who, uh, like you said, he has the Infinity Stones in his desk, and he has this weird, weird line where Loki calls him like a fish or something, and the oh, guy's yeah. like, what's a fish? Yeah, that was great. And that guy was also in an episode of The Mandalorian as well. Oh, that's right. I saw that picture. He, he, like some kind of soldier. He was one of the shrimp fishermen in that in that uh, episode where we meet Gina Carano's character. Yeah. That's right. Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought he was a funny character. It's such a weird. Like, how does he not know what a fish is? Has he yeah. been created entirely within the TVA realm? Like, what? Who are these people that work here? Like. What is happening in this TVA? I think it was a hilarious line, but it also has these like weird implications of like what, who are these people? How do what what do they know? What do they not know? Yeah, for sure. I thought it was funny. Like it was one of those ones where like, sure, this guy doesn't know what a fish is. That's kind of funny. <laughs> I'm just gonna roll with it. Yeah. 
Uh, and this is kind of the point where Loki, when he sees those Infinity Stones, he, his crisis kind of comes full circle and everything kind of comes together for him. And he realizes, like, oh, this this tiny struggle for power over, like, one or two planets is nothing compared to what they're doing here at the TVA. And he kind of gives up that that small goal and says, like, oh, this is where the real power is, so I'm going to work with these guys, at least for now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has ulterior motives, like whether it's to dismantle the TVA, run the TVA, do, you know, he's the god of mischief, so he's mm-hmm. he's got something up his sleeve. Oh, I'm sure he does, and I'll get to the prediction in a second, but I wanted to get the last kind of note here is that Loki does end up kind of joining Owen Wilson's crusade here, and he informs him that the variant that he's been spending the episode seeking down, you know, when he was at the church interrogating the girl, that kind of stuff, that it's him it's another loki mm-hmm. and we get this final scene where well he says it's you that's that's a line he says it's you and in the final scene is uh a hooded figure uh take burning the, and i can't remember what timeline what year it was taking place but it was some kind of like oil boom looking like old west yeah. era <laughs> yeah and he's they the tva shows up and they find that someone's out here stealing oil, so they just shrug it off. They're like, oh, some time traveler got uh, 3D taking oil, whatever. Let's just reset the timeline and go. And they put down the timeline reset bomb thing. Very cool prop, by the way. I like the look of yeah. that. Me too. And they're about to set it off. And then, of course, this hooded figure that we assume to be one of the other other Lokis, or however this is going to play out, the, the villain of this episode, or whatever it's going to be. We'll get to the threes in a second, but yeah, they're burning down this big old field. That's why the oil was out there. They're killing all these TVA agents, and they steal that bomb and walk off into the into the night. Interesting choice to not reveal the character if they're telling us that it's Loki. But Yeah, that's the um, one thing. That's the one thing. The face was covered. We didn't see the face, and if it looked if it was Tom Hiddleston, no need to cover the face. So I can tell That's you right there, it's not Tom Hiddleston. So do you have a theory on who the cloaked figure is? If I was betting money, I would bet it on uh, like a girl Loki or a woman yeah. Loki. I don't know. What, yeah, what there's a lady Loki who is a very popular uh, Marvel, you know, kind of character. Mm-hmm. That's what and, I'm thinking. And to add to the credence to that, when... Uh, Loki was taken in by the TVA. His file came up and it gave like name and all that. For gender, it just said fluid. I like that too. I mean, in the so. in the outside world, Loki's been kind of like built up as this gender fluid figure. So it's cool that they got like a canon confirmation of that. But yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be Lady Loki. I think it would be a missed opportunity when you're bringing in this idea of multiple different Lokis that to not bring in Lady Loki at one point or another. And the fact, like you said, they don't reveal the face to me. That's like almost hundred percent confident that it's Lady Loki. And if it's not her, it's a different actor playing Loki. Yeah. yeah I definitely think it's its own, right? Lady Loki. And I'm curious to see who they like cast in that role. Like, do you go for an unknown or is it going to like pull the thing back and it's going to be like Kira Knightley or somebody? I think if you're going for Kira Knightley level character, like they would have done that in the episode. Like it would have been a really cool reveal for them to pull down the hood and it's Kira Knightley or something. And I think, like if I was doing the episode, I might have had that reveal of it being Lady Loki now. Yeah. Like that would have been my final shot. But I'm, it, we'll see how they play it out in the next episode. It's, like we're running with the assumption that it's Lady Loki, but it could be anything. Yeah. That'd be interesting. I'm not, I'm a hundred. I'm like ninety nine percent sure it's Lady Loki, but. We shall see. Yeah, and I imagine 
with the premise of the show, we're going to get a lot of Lokis throughout the show. Like, I, I almost wonder if each episode's like a different Loki they got to hunt down, you know, and they yeah. have that procedural cop show kind of element to it. Yeah, that could definitely, that could be possible. Oh, fat Loki. Yeah, and maybe, maybe Loki's ulterior motive is going to be some way or another to like bring these Lokis together and like together all these Lokis who rebel against the TVA and we'll get like a battle of Lokis versus TVA. <laughs> Hell yeah, I'd be down for that. But yeah, I'm really curious what the feature of the show is going to be. I was really surprisingly into this into this premiere episode, along with the mysteries and that kind of stuff. But what kind of questions or theories do you have now that we've gotten to the end of the episode? We covered the big one, but is there anything uh, else? That's about it. I have no idea really what to expect from this show. So I have a couple of questions I want to throw out to you before we move on to a different show. Just like these last couple of questions I have hanging. So my big question is... Who are the Time Lords, the Time Keepers, like these big, ominous figures they have standing over the TVA, like the people who are in control? Do you think that they're just some guys, or do you think they're going to be something that plays into the larger MCU? I mean, I'm not a big Marvel Comics fan, but I know they're, like, established um, Marvel characters. So I think they're, like, they're going to be revealed, I think, at some point in the show. And I think they're definitely going to be people that are present themselves of like oh we're just preserving the timeline but they're really just trying to create the timeline in their image and put it in a way that is advantageous for them yeah that's how i'm feeling i think that's the motivation i'm i had a theory because there's an upcoming uh jonathan majors recently joined the mcu oh as uh kang the conqueror yes kang the conqueror he was great in in lovecraft country or Lovecraft County, I think, or whatever, one of those two words. But yeah, he was yeah. good in that. And I, there were theories going around that Kang might have been the design base for one of the big statues of the TVA, like the one that they feature in the credits. So I'm wondering if they'll have a Kang thing, like the reveal at the end will be, oh, one of the Time Lords in charge is actually Kang, and that'll set him up for this next movie. But at least so far, these Disney Plus shows haven't done a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. the biggest you've gotten is Julia Lee Dreyfus's character showing up in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and that was just a fluke. Like, that was supposed to be in the opposite order. <laughs> yeah, she was so, supposed to be in Black Widow first. So. so, I'd be curious. I would love it if they started, like, I think this is the show to do that. Like, this is a, their weird kind of quirky show. So, this is the one to bring in all those kind of weird connected tissue things. Yeah, for sure. Especially because this show is very much feels more movie based. You have Owen. I mean, Owen Wilson, obviously not part of the MCU, but he's not really like a TV actor. Like when you think mm -hmm. Owen Wilson, like you think movie actor, you know, Tom Hiddleston was like the main villain of the first Marvel movie or, or the first yeah. Avengers movie. I mean, um, we're like Elizabeth Olsen, like has mostly been in movies, but she's still, she's not like this big time actor or anything. Mm -hmm. She's mostly known for, the MCU and she's never led an MCU movie so you're like okay whatever same with Falcon and Winter Soldier like neither of them have led an MCU movie they've been sidekicks neither are like super big actors so that still has that TV feel where Loki has like kind of a movie feel because it's a bunch of film people led by someone who is the main villain of the first Avengers movie so I could yeah, see more this affecting the movies more yeah, and I read today that this Loki premiere was the biggest premiere Disney Plus has had. So I think that's a promising sign that at least a lot of eyes are on this Loki yeah. show. And I, I imagine Marvel knew that going in that people were going to be watching this. So I would love to see them pull pull out some crazy stuff. 
we mentioned it in previous episodes covering Marvel stuff, but I just think yeah. like the potential is so huge for that. Like when you have these TV shows to just bring in one or two characters, not in a way that makes it required reading, but in a way where like you'll you'll get that extra little bit of salt on top, you know, that little 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 sugar yeah. to make it just extra bit of sweet. Yeah. And my last prediction here. Uh, before we move on from Loki, is that I I just have a slight prediction that like Loki is probably going to take down the TVA by the end one way one way or another. I think the TVA's power is going to kind of collapse, and I think that will be used as the excuse for the multiverse showing up in the MCU. Like the fact that they haven't that. gotten into any of the multiverse stuff prior to this, they're going to be like, oh, that's because the TVA was protecting the timeline. But now that the TVA is gone, we can bring in you know. Andrew Garfield timeline, we can bring in the X-Men timeline, we can bring in the Fantastic Four timeline, yes. like all that stuff can exist now out in the universe somewhere. Yeah, I'd even wonder I'd even wonder if like that timeline war they mentioned is gonna be what they use. Like, oh that all those timelines that word, like <laughs> those are the previous Marvel movie timelines. Like, oh, mm-hmm. one of them is the X-Men timeline, one of them is the Fantastic Four timeline, one of them is the Sam Raimi Spider-Man timeline, and they all kind of bail it out and now they're in, in stasis until now. All right, new theory you talking got me thinking. What if the time TVA people aren't protecting the timeline like they say they are, but what they're doing is they're keeping people from going to other timelines and keeping people from other timelines to coming into ours. So there already are the multiple universes and the TVA is just trying to keep people from other universes of going, you know, people from hopping other universes. I like that a lot. That's a really good theory. I think it especially plays into the themes of like people want to feel like their life is individually important and like that they're in charge of everything. And the fact that the TVA calls it like the one sacred timeline, it almost feels like Fight Club S where like, oh, you're like the one special timeline that's really important and special and everybody else is not. And I wonder if like they tell that to all the girls, you know, like (laughs) I wonder if every time someone comes in from a timeline, they're like, oh, yours is the one sacred sacred timeline that we got to preserve and it's so important. And we need you to help preserve that one sacred timeline. And maybe that's like what a, like they, they're calling it a remnant, like, oh, you're left over from like a wrong timeline, but really you've hopped from one universe to another. Mm-hmm. And like, that's essentially what Loki did. And maybe that's how we have Lady Loki as she has come from like another timeline where like all of the genders are flipped. So like on her, in her universe, Thor's a woman, Odin's a woman, but Frigga is a guy, Black Widow is a guy, and you know. Yeah, I would. I'm fascinated to see what that next step is. I do, I think bringing in the multiverse finally, like officially into the MCU, whether the TVA's had their own motivation or not, like that's a step forward. And I think people have been waiting and waiting and waiting for like when is the multiverse going to finally be trigger pulled? And I think we're getting closer and closer, especially yeah. with Doctor Strange coming yeah. up before you know it, and Spider Man coming up before you know it. They even mentioned like. Oh, if there's too many multiverses, then there's madness. They literally said, like, almost said multiverse of madness out loud in this mm. episode. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm, I'm sure they're going to bring up some stuff at least. Yeah. That was uh, the Loki premiere, though. We covered pretty much everything. Yeah. Any last thoughts, Joe, before we move on to anything else? Nope. I'm down to talk some Bad Batch. Yeah, down for Bad Batch, too. Bad, surprisingly good to Bad Batch episode, too. Good week of Disney Plus shows this week. Yeah. I thought parts of it, you know, for Bad Batch were a little anticlimactic after some build-up, and I'm, yeah. I'm lessening on some theories, actually, that we've had, that we've been pretty strong on. Yeah, let's move on to the Bad Batch. So this is the most recent Bad Batch episode. I think it was episode eight of season one. 
Uh, I didn't write down the title of it, but you know, it's on Disney Plus. I think you guys can. Wait, it was episode six. <laughs> episode six. Oh, episode six. I'm way ahead then. Or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, well, it was a new Bad Batch episode. Yeah. Harder than the way through the season here. Uh, this is kind of an Adventure of the Week episode, but not really. Like a bunch of storylines yeah. come up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this cold open, just a quick little thing is. Uh, they have the job for Sid capturing a lizard and they bring it back. And they have this many little conflict with Sid over like the morals of her work. And they're like, oh, you don't care who, who it's for as long as you get the money. And she's like, well, yeah, you guys get the money too. And you're doing the work. And they once again revisit this thing of like, oh, we don't want to be doing this. But she has this this uh, debt hanging over us now. It's a literal debt. But uh, I thought that was a really funny uh, scene towards the beginning here when Wrecker and Omega are trying to go off and get this, like, essentially, like, I don't know, puppy mix or whatever you'd call it. Yeah, basically, like, universe. popcorn, essentially. Sort of yeah, it's like, like a popcorn. And that was fun. I love when Wrecker's like, oh, it's just to make the kid feel better. It's, yeah. it's obviously Wrecker wants it just as much as a kid. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like that excuse that he drops. So like, oh, you know, you know, we gotta go for the kid. And Hunter's like, sure, for the kid. Yeah, then Hunter, like, a scene later, is going over his debt with Sid and uh, she's like, oh, you gotta pay for docking fees, you gotta pay for this and that, and then you also gotta pay for, like, 40 pounds of popcorn, and Hunter's like, 40 pounds, and they cut from that instantly to Wrecker and Omega getting these huge things of popcorn, they're like, oh, just put it on Sid's tab. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was fun. And yeah, it, of course, good. they're bonding Wrecker and Omega. Yeah, just the rise before the fall, you know? The rise before the fall, you're right. And feel free to interrupt me if we have any oh, thoughts. Fine, I just fine. wanted to get through this one pretty quick. And then much quicker than I thought we would get to it. We were already at the point where the reveal from last week's episode had come into fruition. Yeah, I, thought, <laughs> I thought we were going to take a, like a one-week break from that. I thought for sure we were going to get Crosshair this episode. I'm going to be surprised if we don't get Crosshair next episode because it's like at the point where I just forget Crosshair exists. That's what I was thinking too. I was in the exact same spot as you. I thought, oh, this is going to be a crosser episode. And then maybe next week, the week after, even like the finale of the season, we'll get back to whoever that character yeah. was. But the show is running through stuff pretty quick. This isn't the only uh, build up kind of mystery that gets resolved in this one episode. Yeah. But yeah, the secret cameo, uh, we had plenty of theories. And I think. I said, I said it's one, one of two, and they chose door number three. <laughs> Yeah, we went through a ton of theories and did not even know if he mentioned this one, but this feels obvious in hindsight. But, yep, it, uh, the, the hooded figure from last week that was worn by the, I guess you call the antagonist of last week's episode, it's Captain Rex. He shows yeah. up once again, returned. Last time we saw him, I think it was in the finale, the final season of Clone Wars, technically. Yeah, or Return of the Jedi, if you've watched that recently. Yeah, or Return of the Jedi. But yeah, uh, Captain Rex shows up and he says, oh, I'm here to help you guys out. And good timing because we're having a, we're going to have a lot go wrong in the episode ahead. <laughs> but how do you feel yeah. about this reveal? Are you satisfied by it? Not really because there was no build up to it. It was just like Rex was there and then he was like, oh, yeah, by the way, I was the hologram at the end of the last episode. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, 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 okay, I guess. Like I rewound it. I'm like, wait, did I like catch that right? And I'm like, oh, I guess he's the hologram. Like there was so much to me in this episode that just felt like anticlimactic. Like that reveal that I thought would be like bigger and more important. Like that reveal was so like not much of a non-reveal. They might as well have just shown Rex as the hologram in the last episode. Yeah, it was a weird choice to not 
show them. I know Dave Filoni likes to have that kind of mystery and build up, but if you're only going to have us wait a week, like, what is it? If we're going to have a week, up? and then as soon as we see Rex, he's wearing the same robes, and he's like, oh yeah, it's the hologram. Then it's like, why, why, why hide it? Yeah, I thought it was an alright reveal. I thought it was... I like like the slow like you obviously are know that it's a hooded figure and not quite sure who it's gonna be because you just see the hood and then you see the arm come out and you realize oh he's wearing clone armor that must mean it's a clone and it could have been Lady Loki could have been Lady Loki you know could have been Mephisto could have been but yeah I think it was an all right reveal I just wasn't I don't know with all the build up you'd think it would be either a surprising yeah. character or a badass reveal like maybe he shows up and saves him later in the episode that would have been a little a little bit cooler at least than just yeah. having him show up randomly in the, in the bar like, like if they had kept him a hooded figure in the bar and like you saw him and you realized oh those are the same robes and there's like something about this hooded figure and then something goes down like their debts to sit and then that causes a thing and then the hooded figure comes out and save them i'd be like oh okay that's fine but for the hooded figure just to like stand up, be like, what up? I was like, okay, this is whatever. <laughs> like, I didn't hate it, but it was, I just felt like it easily could have been better. Yeah, we'll move on from there already to another long running season mystery that was addressed this weekend. We're back with Wrecker's headaches. He's complaining about his headaches and, uh, and it obviously leads directly to talking about the inhibited chips and. When Rex hears that the Bad Batch hasn't removed their inhibitor chips, he gets this sort of PTSD moment yeah. where he's ready to grab his gun and he says, I don't want to bury any more of my brothers. Uh, I've seen what the ships can do to people. Uh, I like this uh, scene a lot. I think it really gets into the, like yeah. I said, the PTSD of this kind of experience. Like Captain mm-hmm. Rex, all these clones really, they went through such an intense experience, but Captain Rex in particular had a really really rough time with order 66 if you've seen the clone wars and you've seen yeah, it like... was it was not a fun day for old <laughs> captain rex there yeah and i think it's interesting like the irony of him saying i don't want to bury any more of my brothers while he's about to grab his blaster potentially kill some of his own brothers and i think that shows like the warped thinking that this kind of yeah. trauma can inspire in, in someone even someone like rex yeah but yeah, once again, I'm surprised how much the episode covers of like these storylines that I assume were going to be season arcs. Like, I didn't think Wrecker's headache thing was going to no. come back until like much later in the season. Same with uh, the hooded figure. I know we save like predictions for the kind of our end of our discussion, but when I'm like below fifty percent now that I think Omega is force sensitive, just because my main piece of like reasoning for why I thought she was is I thought, like, she would do something that uses the Force, and that would trigger Wrecker's, like, Order 66, and then we'd have, like, that big emotional moment. But, like, even this episode, like, when he flipped, like, it and, you know, the chip activated, like, it didn't even feel, like, that emotional for me. And, like, there were more emotional moments, like, when he's, when he, like, in the last episode started to say, like, good soldiers follow orders after he hit his head and stuff like that, like, and so for this episode, like, it just didn't hit me. Like, if she had used the Force and I felt like there was a chance, like, he could take her out, like, obviously it's a kid show and you know he's not going to. But now it's like, okay, if Omega uses the Force, I'm going to be like, why? Like, who cares? It would have been way better if she used it before. And, like, that's what triggered the Order 66 in in Wrecker. 
Yeah, I'm starting to change my theory on Omega as well. I I still think she has some force sensitivity, but I don't think she has like the full force abilities that we see from like Jedi. I wonder if she just has specifically like this force empathy because we see her use that empathy with uh, Rex too. Like she looks him right in the eye and they play a little music cue for a second and then she says, oh, you're your Gen 1 clone. Yeah. She just knows from like the intuition of looking at him. Well, she says, because so I, I can see... I mean, she's been around all of the clones and like knows all of the clones. I, like she says, oh, it's because like the wrinkles on your face. So I think she probably just... To me, that just means she's been around the clones long enough. She can tell like, okay, you're this old. So if you're that old, you must be a Gen 1. Yeah, my mindset at this point is if we don't see Omega actually using the Force or... or confirming to the audience that she has some level of force sensitivity by the end of the season i think maybe that was like a misfire of a theory <laughs> and i'd be sad yeah. to see it go because i've been right honestly that theory, but honestly i think at this point if she was force sensitive and could use the force we would have something by now besides just like the level of empathy like there would have been a moment of us being like did she use the force there or was that something else mm -hmm. and like we haven't had anything like that now i'm like there was a time where I was like 95% sure, oh, she has the force. Now I'm like 20% she has the force and like 60% she's an accumulation of all of the, you know, Bad Batch powers mm -hmm. and like 20% something else. Yeah, I'm still leaning towards the force powers. I think it might manifest itself differently. And maybe that could be explained as like, oh, that's like she's a clone. So we are experimenting with like specific... Yeah. I don't even know what, what they'd go with it, but I, I still see a way for them to get and say, oh, she's Force-sensitive just in a different way. She's not, like, a Jedi Force-sensitive, but she has, like, these couple of different abilities in her that were yeah. created because of the Force, because of the Metachlorians, because of whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm definitely a lot uh, colder on the theory than I was a couple of weeks ago. So they set their plan for the episode uh, in order to get the chips out of their heads. Uh, they're going to go to a big old starship graveyard. Uh, I I believe this is the same graveyard site that Cal Kestis works at at the beginning of Jedi yep. Fallen Order. Uh, yep. Yeah, I was going to ask if you were a Fallen Order, if you played Fallen Order, because that is Braca, which is where Jedi Fallen Order opens up. Interesting timing that the day the episode came out is also the day that Jedi Fallen Order got released on PS5 and Xbox Series X. I think Ooh. that's pure coincidence. <laughs> but I, think I don't know. I think there are probably some... I wouldn't be surprised if there's some level of collaboration. Like if they were certain communication at Lucasfilm of like, oh, we're going to do Jedi Fallen Order on PS5. And they're like, we want to release it on like May 31st. And they're like, well, if you wait two weeks, you can release it on the same day that we're going to have that same planet in uh, Bad Batch. And they're like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I thought it was a fun coincidence or or planned out thing. Either way, you know, the Force works mysterious yeah. ways. Uh, and their goal here is to go to a crashed Jedi cruiser where they can recover some Jedi technology to essentially recreate what Rex did to get his ship out and do that to Wrecker and I imagine to the rest of the clones. Yeah, and this also confirmed to me uh, Crosshair is 100% flipping back to the good side. Because yep, to me, this is all cool. a setup to show that they have the ability to take out Crosshair's Order 66 ship. Yep. And I would imagine, like, Kamino probably has this, like, sitting around, you know, in yeah. the lab. <laughs> They're yeah. not going to have to go back to this buried uh, treasure type thing to get it again. Yeah, for sure. 
we get some uh, team bonding in this uh, build up here where we're just getting like a, they kind of ask Rex like, oh, how did you get this done? And he says, oh, I had help. He gives it a typical like vague Dave Filoni answer to a question. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, well, that doesn't answer any question at all, but it works for the audience. <laughs> yeah. That's a story for another time as some people would yeah. say. It's almost frustrating where I'm like, so Hunter didn't follow up on that question. He was just like, oh, all right. Yeah, help. Yeah. <laughs> good conversation, good talk. Yeah. But at, we get some interruption with some action here where Wrecker, uh, they have to climb across this rope to get across this big kind of gap of water. And of course, the last guy's going across and he's about to make it, but then out of the water, he jumps a big like tentacle monster thing and attacks Wrecker. And they have this little Lord of the Rings action sequence where they got to yeah. fight off the tentacle monster and get Wrecker across in time. Yeah, I always like those little moments like that. Yeah, it's very... It feels very much in, in quality with Star Wars, where it's like, oh, we're going to throw in this like alien action sequence in the middle so that people have something fun to look at. <laughs> yeah, it's like the trash compactor scene in the New Hope or something like that. Yep. Uh, and then we have a bit of an emotional moment, too, where Omega is hesitant about doing an experiment on the clones because she says, like, oh, if it goes wrong and I lose you guys, I literally have no one, which is and, true. I, and then Rex is just sitting no there one. like, thanks, I guess. Yep. <laughs> but I imagine Rex and Omega haven't exactly been close. Like, no, I mean, I'm they sure met Rex yesterday. Would do the nice so. thing, and I'm sure Rex is not a bad guy. He'd probably take her in, and especially if she's a clone herself. But yeah, I wouldn't. Rex would get to lose her entire family. Rex would probably take her back to Cut Laquane because he knows Cut. Omega, Omega would probably be like, "Oh, like I had, you know, I'd rather have been with the Bad Batch, but those are good people, so." Rex would mm -hmm. probably just take her back there. Uh, so Hunter kind of like comforts her and says, we're not going anywhere, kid. And they go in and do this experiment on Riker. And Riker's ship gets activated. He says, you are in violation of Order 66. And he has this kind of, I really like this action sequence for for what it was, like a Riker versus the entire yeah. Bad Batch. Yeah. And the Bad Batch is obviously trying not to kill him, but Riker is firing to kill. Like he's He's not holding yeah. back at all. I thought it was a really cool scene. Yeah, I did like the flip of like the kind of goofy, kind of dumb rocker to like just straight fucking murderer, mm -hmm. you know, mentality. Like, I really like that. I just wish there was like slightly better like story around that, you know. Yeah, something more plot based to have, or more character based to have triggered it yeah. rather than plot based, which like, would have been more I, interesting. I almost would have. I think I almost would have preferred this episode to be like a two parter. I think is mm -hmm. what. You know, yeah, like the one part is meeting Rex and doing something with Rex. Second part, you know, the episode maybe ends with maybe they have their helmets on for most of the move or most of the first part, and then Rex looks at the side of their head and realizes none of them have the scar. And he's like, mm -hmm. "Oh, you still have your, like, you still have your chips." And then that's when they have the conversation. And then part two is like taking the chips out. Yeah, I think this is one that probably would have benefited from more time because there's a lot of, to cover. It's almost yeah. like like they answered two of the biggest questions of the show so far: of who is this guy in the hood, and then what are they gonna do about their chips? Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, I like this action sequence overall. Record turns against the crew, uh, gets into this kind of big battle. 
I like that every member of the crew had like their moment against Wrecker, you know, like a little yeah. moment to shine and to be cool. And then Wrecker uh, essentially kind of wins it almost. And then he points his gun and ready to kill Omega. And they have this bit of a heart to heart where Omega's trying to like be like, see, look at me. It's me. It's Omega. It's, don't do this, Wrecker. You don't got to do this. And before we're able to get in a conclusion on that, uh, Cody, or yeah, not Cody, uh, Rex shoots yeah. Wrecker and stuns him. And kind of knocks him out. Yeah. Now, this isn't Kenobi. We don't have Captain Cody yet, who I think, or Commander Cody, who I think is going to be in Kenobi. That's my theory. A lot of clones keep track of, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, were you satisfied by the resolution of this action scene? Yeah, I like that. I like, I like that. I saw a Quiet Place Part 2 yesterday or last night, and there was a similar moment where someone was basically dead to rights, and then a character shows back up and like attacks the villain and yeah it's at the exact yeah. perfect second like the exact, <laughs> i always love i always love that like if i ever write a movie like if i ever have a professional movie written i don't care what the plot of the movie is there's gonna be that moment of like a character <laughs> like you had it in rogue one with uh cassian andor shows up like i could write like a hallmark movie and that's gonna be in my movie. <laughs> that i just love that trope timing. yeah Perfect trope, character shows up, boom, dead. And then, of course, uh, well, I liked it. I'm not a, I'm not as big of a fan of convenient timing, I think. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, he's going to show up and shoot him exactly when he needs to do it. But in Star Wars, it kind of is fun. Like, this is not, this is just like a popcorn show, essentially. Yeah, that's they literally, literally told you that in the beginning when Omega yep. and uh, Wrecker were going to get popcorn. <laughs> And they call it back right here. Uh, Wrecker is is knocked out, and Omega's worried about him. And she says, oh, he should be up by now. He should be fine. And then he wakes up, and he's kind of begging her for forgiveness and saying, like, oh, I, I know I wasn't in control of my actions, but I'm so sorry for, for what I did. Yeah. And Omega forgives him by pulling out a bucket, a little a little handful of popcorn and saying, here, the mission's over. Wrecker, are you ready for the, the reward, the treat? Yep. So that was a fun turnaround yeah. for the popcorn thing. Yeah, definitely like their little brother, sister, uncle, niece kind of relationship that they have going. So, yeah, but I'm glad Wrecker didn't die. I was there's a part of me that was thinking, oh, could they kill him this episode? Like they brought in. They killed Wrecker. I'm never watching this show. (laughs) Yeah, Wrecker's by a mile one of the more entertaining characters. But yeah, in a show like this, I I do feel like almost any of the clones could be killed off if they really wanted to, especially when you get towards like the middle or the end of the season here. Oh, for sure. And we get a final scene here with Rex just kind of, he offers to Hunter saying, oh, you guys want to join us? We have some other clones throughout the galaxy. The kind of uh, the fight's not over yet. And Hunter tells him, like, oh, I got to do what's best for my own team. We're not really looking to join up with anything right now. And says, well, we'll see you around, brother, or whatever. And <laughs> he's just like, oh, well, okay, thanks for coming for the episode. And then he just leaves. And that's kind yeah. of the resolution of Yeah, of he'll, he'll be up. back. It goes back to my theory of maybe the last episode or the episode before that Sid tells them in the first episode that we meet Sid, like, you need money and you need friends. So they're currently in the, like, every episode they make a new friend. And I think whether it's the Battle of Camino or whatever happens, like, there's going to be a big battle at the end of this season. And they're going to need help and they're going to call all the people they've met throughout the show and they're going to come help and save the Bad Batch. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling too. And I... Yeah, there's no way you bring in someone as big as Rex for one episode. I think he's, yeah. he's a fan favorite kind of character, so of course you're going to bring him back. Yep. 
what do you think Cody's lo- I mean, uh, Hunter's logic was on not joining Rex and why did like the Bad Batch is kind of like out on a on a whim here. They don't really seem to have any goals. Like why why do they not join up for this battle? Uh, I think part of it too is they've just got done fighting a war and they're like not ready to sign up for another one. Yeah. They're like, I mean, they've basically been under, they've essentially been slaves. Like, that's the part you don't really think about. Is like the clones were essentially slaves of the Republic. They didn't really have a choice. Cut Quain had to go on the run. It wasn't like he was just like, yeah, you know what? I'm not feeling this whole war thing. I think I'm just going to leave. And the Republic mm-hmm. was like, sure. Like, he had to run away. So, this is kind of the first time in their lives they've all been free and able to do what they wanted. So, I could definitely see them being like, yeah, we, we didn't go from slaves forced to fight in a war to then going and having to fight in another war that we signed up for. Like, Very true. We're just going to do our own thing for now. Yeah, yeah I like that logic a lot. I think you cleared up, to be honest, because I was wondering, like, the Bad Batch have nothing. Like, they barely have a place to stay. They barely have income. Like, why would they not but they have join up freedom. on the old French thing? But, yeah, like you said, having the freedom of choice, I think, is a big thing in the in the Clone Wars and Bad Batch. And it makes sense to me that they would be like, you know, I don't really want to get involved in another huge galactic conflict. <laughs> Maybe you can yeah. just hang out and eat popcorn for a while. Yeah, we're just going to hang out, eat popcorn, and chill with this kid. Unfortunately, it doesn't go that way it seems because they were spotted by some junkyard bounty hunter type looking characters and they say oh we're going to tell the empire we just spotted their persons of interest out here at this this ship graveyard so I would be shocked at this point if Crosshair doesn't show up next week and yeah, get done... revenge on the Bad Badge. See what most animated shows do at least the ones that I remember seeing and see is like they'll be like oh like here's this thing that's a hint for what's to come and normally what's to come is two to three episodes later but what Bad Batch has been doing is like no here's the hint at what's to come in the next episode so yeah when they're like oh like tell the Empire so like yeah Bad or uh, Crosshair is definitely going to be the main antagonist in the next episode or at least like Admiral Rampart or someone else from the Empire yeah, I definitely. We haven't seen any of Admiral Rampart really outside of like one episode, so I would like to see a lot more from him going forward. If he's going to be like a big antagonist of the show, we got to at least get a couple good episodes out of him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, like you said, Bad Batch has been doing that, or they'll set something up, and I'll think like, oh, that's going to be like a season long thing, and then like within an episode or two, it's already covered. It's different for Dave Filoni, where you get like. You don't get the resolution of the Ahsoka Fader fight for like three seasons or whatever, and it's like yeah. he likes to just leave things hanging for like whatever he feels like doing them again. And this show yeah. feels a bit more fast paced. I don't know if it's his writing has evolved or if he's just decided to write differently for the show in particular. Or well, what, I think but this it's one moving is, a lot faster. This one, I mean, number one, you go from a twenty-two to sixteen episode season, so already you're cutting out basically all of the kind of filler episodes. And then, two, he's not, like, the main guy on this anymore. He's busy working on other things, whether it's The Mandalorian. So he's, he's like, the executive producer, but he's passed off a lot of the creativity stuff to other people. That explains it, probably. But, yeah, any predictions, I guess, for for what we're going to have next? All, all of our big theories and stuff are all kind of gone at this point. Like everything not really. I think it's going to be... Just hanging. Not really. I think it's going to be, you know, Crosshair is the main antagonist. And do we think... Is it going to be a situation where they, I mean, at this point, I'm not going to be completely shocked where they take out Crosshair's inhibitor chip next episode. And then, like, 
it's crosshairs back with the Bad Batch, and now it's like, okay, we have to fight the... Um, now we, we didn't want to fight the Empire, but now we have to because they're after this because they want Crosshair back. That would be... I mean, I never thought we'd get so many resolutions in one episode this week, but I want to say that's a lot to cover in one week, but who knows? I mean, I imagine by the end of the season, Crosshair is back to the good yeah. side, even whether... Uh, maybe in a few episodes before, like I imagine by the finale, he's on the good side, you know? I I will say if Crosshair comes back, one of the Bad Batch dies. And I'm going to go with it's either Echo or Tech, because they're kind of the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, and they've both been kind of sidelined, especially uh, Tech, I think, hasn't really done a lot. I will say if if I had to pick a Bad Batch member to die, I'm going to go with Tech, just because I don't care about him. At least Echo, we have, like, his run in the Clone Wars, and then all of the other ones are different. Or Tech's just, Mm -hmm. like, the annoying one. Like, that's his trait. (laughs) Yeah, and if you're going to kill off one of the two tech guys, at least, I guess, going with tech would be the easier choice because Echo has a lot more history yeah. in the fandom and a lot more iconography. But at the same time, like, that would be a more punchy death. Like, if you kill off the character you've known for a while, yeah. I think that and could I be And I can also see they don't kill off Echo, but he goes and basically assimilates into that one uh, tech station because there was a clone in uh, Legends that was in a similar situation that became a cyborg and then he essentially assimilated into like a computer program. Yeah, and I'm then, really, uh, and then becomes Echo Base on Hawks. Yep. That would be something that could be I'm still saying, <laughs> I, I, I'm like 40% chance that's a possibility. If he assimilated... 40%? He, yeah, he goes to like uh He goes to... They have to go to Hawk for one reason or another, and there's some computer thing that has information that they need, and the only way for him to get the information is to fully like, assimilate into the computer system. And then, you know, years and years later, a member of the Rebellion finds that computer station with all this knowledge and information. They decide to build a base there, and the only opinion of the first uh, thing they get out of the computer is the name Echo, hence Echo Base. That'd be interesting. I could even see it not being like, oh, years and years later, Rebellion shows up. Like, if we have Rex in this episode, like, the Rebellion is this slowly building thing that's happening already. Like, we could even see him working with, like, Bail Organa or something in that episode where, like, yeah. I, don't know the, I don't know the canon history of, like, when yeah. Echo when Base was established. Yeah, me either. But, yeah, I don't know. That would be a good theory. I, I like that theory, honestly. I don't know if they're going to go for it. But I think it would be a fun connected thing, especially depending on how they pull it off. I could be really into it. Yeah. That's pretty much all I've got for Bad Batch. I don't have a ton of predictions going forward, like you said. Yeah, the kind of I'm sure be up for next episode, but then who knows what they're really with it. I I'll say that I hope they don't take out the inhibitor chip of crosshair next week because I, I would like to see that last a little bit longer. I think crosshairs are really cool villain. I like having him, I like this idea of like the clone versus clone kind of thing. And we haven't gotten a lot of that yet. So I, I hope that we get at least a few episodes of Crosshair as a bad guy before he turns to the good side. Yeah, me too. I, I, I expected more appearances of Crosshair than what we got. So I thought it would kind of be a back and forth thing of like, okay, they'd fight against the Empire in an episode, then they'd do like a kind of A-team style mission in it. So then they fight the Empire, then they, you know, do another mission. Then they fight the Empire, but it's kind of just been all working for Sid. So 
Yeah, I wonder if the back half of the show will be paced differently than the front half. Like, yeah. the front half is very, like, the first couple episodes are Empire focused, but then it's, it has been very much Sid, Mission of the Week episodes that yeah. tap the tie in other characters that we know, you know? And I, I wonder if the second half of the episode or the second half of the season will be much more focused once again on the Empire and building up that Camino yeah. conflict. Because if the, if the battle for Camino type thing that we're theorizing could happen yeah. is at the end of the season, they have a lot of work to do to get us there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see it being a situation of like a lot of the Sid-based episodes where like, okay, we need all of these Sid-based episodes so they can have all of these, you know, friends and acquaintances to then go and use to fight the Empire. So it could be a lot more Empire in the back half and maybe we've pretty much seen all of the Sid episodes we're going to get. Yeah, we'll see. I, I wonder, I do think Sid could be one of those characters that shows up in the finale. It's like, oh, she had to change a part and she realizes that she has to fight alongside for the good guys yeah. or whatever. And yeah. That could be fun. Any final thoughts, or are you ready to move on to a couple of movies if you want to talk about Yeah, those? we can talk movies. You want me to talk Raya and the Last Dragon, or do you want to talk Cruella first? Go for Raya. I've been talking a lot so far. All right, yeah, because you, you, you were much more... I didn't hate, I didn't dislike, you know, I enjoyed the episode of The Bad Batch, but you were much more of a fan of it than I was, so I let you talk. But Raya and the Last Dragon was really cool. I had really no idea what to expect. I, I probably saw a trailer for it, but I really didn't remember it. Um, but I knew it became free on Disney Plus this last week, so I decided to watch it and check it out, and I really enjoyed it. It was a lot better than I expected. I kind of, I loved all of the, like, uh, uh, Kurosawa samurai, like, visual influences. Uh, I'm a big Aquafina fan. Uh, I loved her in uh, Crazy Rich Asians. She was great in, uh, oh, what's, what's that movie that she was in, like, a year or two ago? Uh, Farewell. Uh, the farewell yeah she was great in the farewell like i loved her personality as the dragon i had no idea she was in this movie but as soon as i heard the dragon talk i'm like oh that's i didn't realize that was kelly marie speaking of star wars and bad batch did not realize uh kelly marie train was the voice of raya until after the movie i looked it up on imdb i'm like oh that's good to her though i figured they got some like random unknown because the voice it just didn't sound familiar to me and there were a lot of like famous Benedict Wong I picked up immediately as the voice of kind of the guy that follows me around. Asian Ninja Baby was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. How did no one ever tell me this was a thing? I figured this would have been like all over like Twitter and Reddit, but apparently no one else saw this movie either. Uh, yeah, but... unfortunately, it was one of those movies that kind of failed. So if you want to give like a little basic premise for people yeah. who might not have I seen it. Yeah, I probably should. So the movie opens and it's like this desolate world. And then you cut back to earlier in this uh, kingdom was had dragons everywhere. And then uh, when the dragons disappeared, they made this like dragon gem that held the dragon power. And uh, the kingdom fractured into, I believe, five pieces because they all wanted this dragon gem because of the power it held. Well, the and they were all they were around this lake that kind of resembles a dragon. You had like uh talon i don't know they were all in heart tail spine talon something like that and uh heart uh which is where our main character of raya is from held the dragon you know gem thing and they were all fighting over it and uh one of the things i really like is normally in these disney movies you have like the daughter princess characters like dad we can unite the kingdoms like all the kingdoms should be together and the dad king is always like no like we fight against each other that's what we do all the other kingdoms suck we're number one 
But I really like kind of the flip on that, where the dad's like mission in life and goal in life was he wanted to unite the kingdoms again. He wanted to show that the kingdoms could work together. And that was kind of the lesson and mission he wanted to pass on to his daughter. Well, he decides to have this dinner and invites the heads of the other kingdoms over. And uh, the daughter of one of the heads of the other kingdoms meets Raya and they become friends. And she shows her where the, you know, the dragon, the powerful like dragon gem thing is. The daughter betrays her, and then the gem ends up fractured. Minor spoiler alert, but it's a movie. <laughs> probably figure it out. And so from there, uh, you know, it becomes a desolate world full of fighting and all of that. And there's this evil entity. Normally, like, smoke monsters and evil entities like that I'm not a fan of, but I thought it worked kind of well in this movie. Because I thought the main antagonist in the movie was more of, like, a ethereal type thing of like not trusting each other and just mm-hmm. the shittiness of people rather than like one villain so i thought the kind of energy monster thing worked in this movie but yeah i really enjoyed it uh i really like the themes and messages and then i went on like the reddit discussion thread and everyone was just like shitting on this movie I'm like did no one else see the same movie i did because i thought it was you know really cool if you're a fan of like asian like samurai films if you you know just Basically, if you have kids and you're like, oh, I want to, you know, the kids want to watch a movie and you haven't seen it, it's like not one that's going to make you want to pull your eyes out with a spoon. So definitely worth, you know, I think even, you know, I don't have any kids. I didn't watch it with any kids. I watched it alone in my room and I enjoyed it. So, yeah, I really liked it a lot. I thought the visuals were fantastic. I saw it in theaters back when it came out in theaters. I think I saw it in IMAX or Dolby, one of the big like premiere screens uh, for AMC and I thought the visuals were incredible, so I was just kind of blown away. It reminded me a bit like when I watched when I watched Premiere Bad Batch, I was almost reminded of this. Where like the yeah. the animation has come so yeah. far at Disney, I yeah, was it, just blown away by how good it looked. Yeah, because the dragon has hair; it's not scales, and you feel like you could pet the dragon and like feel mm-hmm. like the hair fibers like in between your fingers. Like it's crazy. Like I almost want to go back and like look at Monsters Inc. and look at Sully and be like, oh my god, like that looks so fake. Because like when that came out, that looked real. I was really blown away by how expressive the faces were too. Like I think Kelly Marie Tran's character, I can't remember. Oh, yeah. uh, it's obviously Raya. Raya, the main character. <laughs> but Raya, yeah, her uh, name's in the title. Uh, I thought her face was really as expressive, and not in like a big Disney expressive, but like almost like a genuine performance i don't know yeah. if it's performance capture or not but it looked yeah. it looked really good i know and and the color of the world and all the different realms like you mentioned there's like these shattering of the multi multiple realms and i thought they all had like a really distinct look and color to palette to them at all i thought it was gorgeous gorgeous for me to watch so i definitely recommend yeah. it too if you just want to like veg out and watch something cool <laughs> yeah just like the visual style like everything about like visually was really cool like maybe the story could be better but like as far as like a Disney movie, animated you know, movie goes, I thought it was really good. Yeah, I thought it was good too, because like you said, there's not like a one main villain. It's just a villain of like not trusting people who are different than you. Yeah. And I think it's cool for Disney to put something out like that, where it's not like, oh, you got to defeat the one bad guy and then the world's yeah. fine. It's like, oh, you got to defeat like prejudice. You got to defeat people who are uh, hesitant to work with other people and you got to defeat like mistrust. So I just really enjoyed it a lot. And I thought it was one of the better of Disney's kind of recent animated movies yeah me too any any final thoughts on raya i don't know how much else you want to talk about it no, I, I, it. I mean i mean it's one of those movies where it's like 
it's a solid good movie if i you know is it gonna make my like top 10 of the year i think it might have came out last year i don't know when it came out but is it my top 10 of the year like probably not but is it will i watch it again if, if i'm with someone that wants to watch it yeah i'll watch it again. yeah that's what it is for me it's not one that's gonna sit with me forever but it's one that i'll sure i'll come back to and especially because people didn't really see it. So it's going to be one of those Disney movies where if it comes up a conversation, you're going to be the one who's like, oh yeah, I saw that. It was actually really, really good. And you can be like yeah. the advocate for Raya. Yeah. But yeah, I had a good time with it. So I definitely recommend it, especially now that it's free on Disney Plus. Yeah. Free things are the best things. They say nothing in life is free, but apparently they don't have Disney Plus and movies are free on there. So. Not all of them though, because I watched Corella and that was not thirty dollars. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I paid the thirty bucks to get my. Well, I didn't pay for thirty bucks. Actually, I went and saw it in theaters. But you know, if I saw it, on, if you're gonna watch it at Disney Plus, it cost you thirty bucks. And I don't know about thirty bucks, but I mean, I bought a popcorn, a large drink, two tickets, and it cost me less than thirty bucks. So uh, if you go to the right places at the right times. But either way. Uh, Corella, it's like a meme at this point. Like it's been talked about and talked about for how ridiculous it is, especially that opening kind of sequence where the Dalmatians show up and and we get the tragic origin story yeah. of Corella Deville and her mom's death. <laughs> if you've yeah. been following the movie on Twitter, I'm sure that's the thing you know about it. And it's the only thing I, went I know in, about it. I went into this. It was me and my one friend. Uh, we all watch. We it's like kind of our thing of watching these weird movies together were the ones who watch cats and kind of inspired my cat's love for a while but uh it was us and like two other people in the theater <laughs> so i was like oh what are we in for with this and uh of course the opening sequence is very ridiculous and you get like this slow-mo dog chase where the dogs tackle corella's mom off of this balcony and kill her and it inspires corella to build to have this like life of crime and eventually to return as this like fashion fashion icon Similarly to like Devil Wears Prada, she becomes this fashion student for this really high-end fashion designer and slowly and slowly but surely like turns against her and becomes this like mad fashion queen of Corella Deville. And I'm not going to lie, Joe, I had a great time with this one. I thought it was really, really good. I The performances were just like every every performance was on like another level of... It's just a rare movie where I feel like everyone who was making it was completely aware of what the movie was and like the quality they were going for and there's no random actor that's off tone there's no like random sequence that's off tone like everything feels like in this weird camp reality of Corella. i had I heard, a really really fun time with it i heard my boy paul walterhauser was exceptionally good in it he was really good in it he was he's been talking on twitter a lot about how much fun he had with the role and how much fun he had with the accents and the costumes and everything like that and i was like oh, okay you're just like trying to Mark your movie or whatever. When you watch it, you can tell like he's just having time of his life <laughs> on this yeah. set. And I feel like every actor was doing that. Like Emma Stone is just hamming it up so hard as Corella. And I was very into it. The, the costumes, the style of it, everything was just kind of like really elevated. The one complaint I have is I think the soundtrack was a little bit too much. Like it's almost Suicide Squad-esque where like every other sequence is like the soundtrack heavy yeah. montage. Was it and, like was was there a theme in like the songs? Was that because like, I look at the trailer and I look at the, like the aesthetic of it and I feel like the soundtrack is entirely like eighties and nineties punk music, like British punk music. It should have been that. That's probably the biggest problem. It's like it's all it's all seventies music, but a lot of it is like dad music. It's like who who picked these? The only person who didn't know what the movie was is the guy who was picking <laughs> the songs, I guess, because 
I wanted it to be like a British invasion soundtrack or like a Riot Girl kind of soundtrack. That's the aesthetic of the movie. But some of that is there, but a lot of it is just like, oh, 70s rock. And yeah, I look, at, I look at that and I'm like, that should have been an all like Sex Pistols soundtrack. Probably would have improved the movie a lot, but I had a good time with it. It's not something that's going to be winning, might win like costume design or something, but it's not going to be like a best picture winning Oscar type movie. Yeah. But I had a good time with it. It's, I just like seeing a big ambitious kind of movie with a bunch of weird choices and especially with Disney where so, so many of their live action movies especially recently have just been like practically chopper shot if not actually chopper shot recreations yeah. of movies you've already seen that's what I wish a lot of these live action movies were where like instead of hey we're gonna remake the movie is like tell a different story like the Lion King one there was a line in that movie that I was like that's what the movie should have been is like uh when Scar says to Mufasa like you will not beat me and then he pauses this time I'm like Fucking, you should have made that movie. That's what I would have loved to yep. see. It's like the the first battle between Lion and or Mufasa and Scar, where like Scar gets his scar, and like the, I think that could have been like an interesting story. And I feel like it would have made just as much money and got just as much attention. I feel like, hey, this is the kind of thing that caused the rift between Scar and Mufasa, where they start off as like best friends and brothers, and then it kind of um, falls after that yeah i thought what was very impressive was that it wasn't just like a recreation of 101 dalmatians or it wasn't just like oh here's 101 dalmatians the plot but from the pov of corella or, and it wasn't even just like a bunch of connective tissue and oh here's this thing from that thing and here's that thing from this thing it has crossover characters and like references within it to the other movie but i haven't seen that movie in like 20 years at this point i, I barely know the plot of 101 dalmatians <laughs> Yeah, but I was able to follow Corella perfectly, and I was able to oh. capture a couple of the references, and I'm sure I missed a good amount. But yeah, it wasn't hindered by like the source material. I saw something else on like Twitter or TikTok or something. Did you see the post credit scene? I did. Yep. That's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's. I don't know how much I want to spoil for it, but there is a post credit scene that sets up. It's a little troublesome. What, sets up the next movie. I mean. It sets up 101 Dalmatians in, in an interesting way. Like, it implies that, spoiler, I guess, but it's not... Congo and the other it's one. It's not, are... like, any important thing to the plot. But, yeah. it, like, Corella drops off Congo, and I can't remember the, the woman's the dog's one. name from 101 Dalmatians, but the post-credit scene is... I guess I'm just going to spoil it. <laughs> is Corella delivering the two Dalmatians to each of these owners, implying that, in some way, either she was, like behind this plot from the beginning like she set these two dogs up to be bred or that, she just handed off the, the dogs problematic to part. i don't know what i don't know what they're applying with the post-credit scene really but i'd like to hear your problematic part joe the problematic part that i saw that everyone is implying is that pongo and the girl are genetically brother and sister which is i was wondering that because like people were thinking that but i didn't read them as being like i thought they were just different dogs from the okay. ones in the movie. Okay, I didn't, I, watch, I didn't watch it. I just saw like screenshots and then people talking about it. So that was what they had all gathered was that Pongo and whatever the other ones name are are uh, brother and sister. And I'm like, that would be real problematic. I would. I mean, that would be up. hilarious. <laughs> this movie is a weird one because it. Yeah, I didn't read them as being the same dogs, but if they are, that's that's pretty hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, that would be hilarious. I mean, this movie is very weird and it it kind of throws out the original plot in some ways, like the characters are there, but yeah. like the Corella isn't. I mean, you, you also can't say that these are like, 
this is canon right to the first 101 Dalmatians or even the, like the Jeff Daniels one because uh what's her like the the girl I guess like the whatever I don't Anita know. I think it's her name yeah Anita is black so like it's obviously not clearly like the same canon as like the animated movie or um the live action one because it's yeah, like I like that about it. So. It sets itself apart. Like it's not trying to be like a prequel to Hundred One Dalmatians. It's trying to yeah. be a movie about Corella de Bill, and I really liked it a lot. I I was shocked by how much I liked it. Honestly, it yeah. it had this tongue in cheek a bit throughout it, but I think it was a really yeah. just fun time that, at the theater. And I'm I'm hoping that people give it a chance because it's become like this meme movie that people are just dunking on on Twitter, you know. And I was kind of surprised that I liked it as much as I did. And I know I have a tendency to like go for the underdog in movie conversations like when i see something is dunked down a lot i'm like okay i'm gonna be i'm gonna give it a shot like i'm gonna give it all, all i can give it to see if it's any good and yeah. this is one of those ones that was dunked down and i thought it was gonna be bad and then it turns out i really liked it so maybe i'm wrong but i had a good time with it yeah I'm, I'll, it looks interesting enough that i'll pay for it when it's or i'll not pay for it. i'll watch it when it's free on disney plus but like i'm not gonna pay for it so yeah, I think that's a good route, unless you know for a fact you're into, like, camp-type movies and you want to see, like, this ridiculous-type movie. But I think it's definitely worth a free watch on Disney+, Plus, even yeah. just for the visuals alone. It was gorgeous sets, gorgeous costumes, that's some really smart. ambitious shots and creative visuals. I had a good time with it. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Um, and we've seen a lot of these, like, girl boss type stories, like Queen's Gambit and, and that kind of stuff have been popular recently, and this is one of the better ones, I think, it, just a fun one to watch with also while also having like the oh she's gonna do whatever she wants and she can't be stopped by anyone type characters. Yeah. So all you have to say about Cruella? Yeah, good time. I'm happy to do in a sequel. I can't wait for the second one. I wonder how much the sequel will tie into the first movie, Hundred One Dalmatians, or how much it'll just be like a totally off the wall sequel. I'm looking forward to it. Alright. Uh before you know, we talk about this, one thing I wanna do uh, I don't know if you have one, but uh, one that's not as current, it wrapped up like two weeks ago, I say, is if you're a fan of the original three Mighty Ducks movies, I feel like you should definitely watch Mighty Ducks Game Changes. It didn't like age with its audience. It's definitely made for, you know, it's not like, oh, you were a kid in the 90s, so now we're going to make a show that's aimed at like 35-year-olds. It's definitely a show that's aimed towards kids, but... It has that similar tone, I think, of the original Mighty Ducks movies. Uh, I like everything they did with the characters that return. At first, they set things up, and I wasn't sure about it, but they gave explanations. I'm like 100% down. Uh, I think it could be a cool show for kids to watch now. Uh, I'd just say, uh, yeah, if you're a fan of the Mighty Ducks, you should watch that show, Mighty Ducks Game Changers. My, my strange Disney Plus recommendation is that I... Never in a million years would have thought a high school musical TV show would be anything but cringe. <laughs> and it's kind of cringe, but it's, it's, I'm into it a bit, but more than I thought I was going to be into it. I, I started watching because Olivia Rigo, the main character, has become like a pop star icon between then and now. Uh, she's had like a huge, huge single hit and then put out her first album, and that was even bigger. And so yeah. I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm going to give it, give a look out to this high school musical show. And it, it, if you liked Glee, if you liked that kind of tone to your show, I think you'll like it. It's it follows, if you don't know, it's called High School Musical, uh, the musical of the series. <laughs> and it's a, it's this very meta 
show about like the high school where they shot the movie High School Musical is adapting the movie High School Musical into a play production at the school where they shot the movie. <laughs> so it's like in a universe where High School Musical the movies exist and like all the student characters are just like fans of the original movie that decide to do the student production of the movie. So it's very meta. There's a lot of like parallel characters and a lot of weird kind of jokes. So I just had a really good time. If you want to see something weird, <laughs> you might want to watch it. But if you also want to get some nostalgia going for like Glee era TV, I thought it was pretty fun and heartfelt. Like it's hard on sleeve type high school drama that was just fun to watch. All right. Yeah. Uh, I will say uh, driver's license kind of men. Good for you. It's a fucking banger. That's real that's banger. My- that's my thought of the day. Um, all right. Any other final words before we wrap up? So I got, I had a fun time with this. I'm excited to come back next week and talk about some more stuff. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's no, not going to be any more individual bad batch review episodes. They're all just going to be kind of part of our Disney plus uh, review show. Uh, we're going to be back on Monday doing a hall of fame episode. It's going to be our first ever hall of fame episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about, movie villains so if you want to see me tristan johnny and bobby talk movie villains come check us out uh give us your thoughts in the comments on you know any selections you would pick in our various categories uh should be a fun interesting show gonna be kind of cool to test out do something different so uh come watch us monday at seven uh have a nice rest of your weekend and if you're watching after the weekend have a nice rest of your day if you're watching like a year from now uh get a life